Welcome everybody back into the extremely riveting NBA podcast. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Carvel Teft. So today we're going to be talking primarily about our projections for the 2025 All-NBA teams. I've done something like this before where you jump five years ahead in the future and you give your best guess for basically what the core of the league is going to look like. We're probably going to end up being pretty wrong, but it is a fun exercise. But before we get to that, uh, just for a little bit, we do have some actual NBA news to discuss. There was a proposal to resume the season that has now been approved by a 29-1 vote among the league owners to bring back NBA basketball starting July 31st. Each team would play out eight regular season games to sort of finalize seeding. Then... There is an option for a play-in game, so 13 teams for the Western Conference will be there, the eight playoff teams along with the Pelicans, Trailblazers, Spurs, Kings, and Suns, and nine Eastern Conference teams will be there, only the Wizards out of teams outside of the current playoff picture, and if the nine seed is able to get within four games of the eight seed in the standings, they have a little mini play-in tournament. They're calling it a tournament, but it's not really a tournament because it's between two teams, but it would be double elimination for the eight seed, single elimination for the nine seed, so... Carvel, what are your general thoughts on this? Do you think that this makes sense and that this was the best way to proceed and get basketball back? Yeah, I like it. At the end of the day, it's, you know, it's basketball. So I think everybody should should take it as a positive that we're, that we're taking steps to get back on the court. But what I, what I specifically like about it is that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, demands and requests for different type of styles that we were going to do a bigger sort of plan tournament than what was eventually implemented. There was possibility of a group stage, getting rid of conferences, all that stuff. And for me, I wanted uh, kind of like the least gimmicky um, playoffs and not to say, not to demean these, calling them gimmicks because they were fun options. But I think with everybody saying this title might not count as much or whatever it is um, about the importance of the rest of the season, I just didn't want people to have more of an excuse to devalue it with just how are we supposed to compare this to other years when the conferences just got eliminated just for a test run. We went to a group stage playoffs just for a test run. We had a massive play-in tournament that kicked out a six seed or whatever like the the um, possible plan could be. So for me, I think the best way to go about it, just because we want it to feel as real as possible, was to play it out as real as possible. So the play tournament for an eight seed, let's face it, they're going to get destroyed by the Bucks and Lakers. It's not going to matter. And other than that, we're staying in our conferences. We're playing in normal playoffs um, other, than the, other than the fans in that atmosphere, obviously. So that's why I like it so much. It just makes it feel like basketball, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want just a test run. So... Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that the keeping the normalcy is a really valuable part of this. And I just don't think it's worth jeopardizing the position of a team like the Mavs that are a 100% chance, 100% locked to make the playoffs essentially just because they're the seventh seed. And so they're like, quote unquote, a border team when they're really not at all. Uh, obviously, they leaned on the generous side as far as including teams, leaving uh, you know the Suns at 26 and 39, six games back in, the Wizards five and a half games back in. I kind of like that, though. I understand that it, they don't have a very legitimate shot, but and so maybe it doesn't make sense in that way. But at the end of the day, you're getting the most teams as possible to play out something that looks like a normal regular season, and that is what I want at the end of the day. Now, if... I guess some people might argue there's an unnecessary health risk to adding two teams that don't really have a shot. 
I don't necessarily agree with that thinking. And also, the Wiz- you know, they have a sh- shot to get within four games. The Wizards much more than the Suns, just because the Suns would also have to leapfrog three other teams. Uh, so I don't really see that, or four other teams. So I don't really see that happening. But at the end of the day, I think that this is basically the right strategy that they took. And the most important thing by far is that we are getting basketball back. So that's the current news. But now let's jump into the future and talk about the 15 guys that we think are going to be still representing the NBA at the highest level in five years. So um, when I read everyone's name that I have on my list, I'll say their age as well to give context on obviously what stage they will be at in their career. But Carvel, why don't we start with you? What's your first team All-NBA look like in 2025? Um, so my first team um, with the guards, I went with Booker to be consistent and Doncic. And then I have Giannis and Tatum at the forward spots and I put Cat at the center spot. So we agree a lot there. I have Ja, who will be 25 at my first guard spot. I have Luca, who will also be 25. I have Tatum, who will be 27. I have Giannis, who will be 30. And I have Carl Anthony Towns, who's 29. So obviously the only spot where we deviate is I have John Morant, you have Devin Booker. So we'll talk about the rest, but first let's talk about the difference there. Why do you see Booker as a top five guy a few years down the road? Um... I think Booker's obviously less explosive than someone like Morant, but I just think he's a better player. Um, I think he's going to be a better player, and I just find it very hard to believe that he's not going to find team success. I think we get very um, stuck in looking at a player as a losing player or um, they cultivate a losing culture when they just got drafted into bad situations. The Phoenix Suns, it's we do this thing where we talk about how bad the Phoenix Suns are at organizing things, but then we also talk about how Devin Booker hasn't won yet and it's like it can't be both right mm-hmm. so if if we all agree that the Suns are a terrible organization then clearly it's not on the 23 year old guard that's putting up these huge numbers and has a winning plus minus and all this stuff um so I just think there's no way in five years that Devin Booker hasn't found team success he's that type of player he's that type of dude uh, I think the Suns could do it I think they're building in the right direction I, I, I'm not going to trash on the Suns I also think that by then he will get out of that situation if it's not a winning situation and I think when people stop having that excuse to say he's not on a playoff team he's going to start getting looked at as one of the top guys in the league because his production speaks for himself he's an ultra competitor he gets better every year he's super efficient um, and I just I haven't seen enough of jaw to bet on someone like jaw against Booker, who's just doing things that I haven't seen out of that young of a guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's my favorite player in the league That's not that doesn't wear a Warriors jersey. So that's why I went with him. Why do you go with Jaw? So I love Book as well. Uh, I sing his praises very often. And 23 years old to do what he's doing, scoring 26 a game for the second straight year. Six and a half plus assists per game, also for the second straight year. Really efficient shooting splits. He is as versatile of a scorer as there is from the guard spot in the NBA. He is the most, and I say that a lot. I might say that too much, but it's something that really stands out about his game. He can get a bucket from anywhere at any time, and that's incredibly valuable. Ja does not have that skill set quite yet. Uh, He's a gifted scorer because he's so dynamic athletically going downhill. He's creative around the rim. He's shooting well enough from three at 37% this year. Obviously, the volume isn't there, and a lot of these are open threes. But I think that what separates Jaw for me, and obviously we have not seen him play basketball at the level that Devin Booker has, I think that Jaw is going to be exceptional in his ability to drive winning in this league. And I think that we've seen that already from a Grizzlies team that has dramatically overachieved uh, a team that 
a lot of people thought would be in the cellar of the Western Conference, currently holding a playoff spot that they have held for a good chunk of the season. The on-off splits, he's plus 2.1 for a team that is, you know, barely positive with with uh, overall, so they're negative without him. And I just think that the playmaking, I think that he could very well end up being a top three passer in basketball. His ability to make decisions on the fly, midair, just sees everything, 360 vision, and he's so dynamic athletically, he just collapses defenses, and I just don't know why he can't be a 22-10-11 and 10, 11 guy, and that's not insane raw production, maybe, but I think it's going to be on really good teams. Part of that is the Grizzlies, although they do not seem positioned to have that second star alongside him, unless you're a big Jaron Jackson Jr. guy, I don't see him ever being an All-NBA level guy. Um, but they have so many solid pieces around him, and I really like the direction that the organization is trending. So he has that stability factor. Yes, a lot can change in five years, and a lot can go right for Devin Booker, and it's possible that things go wrong around John Morant as well. I just think that he's exceptional, he's uniquely talented, and I just think that there's so much room for him to grow, and Devin Booker is almost so complete as is that it's tough to imagine him getting all that much better. I believe that he can do it, but I just see a lot more room for growth with Jaw in his current form. So let's look at the rest of the guys. We both have, obviously, back-to-back MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo. He'll be 30, but that's still relatively in his prime, so that I think that makes a lot of sense. Luka at 25, very well could be the best player in the league at this point, as he'll really just be theoretically entering his prime for most guys. Let's talk about the last two, though, because I feel like they're a little bit less obvious, even though we agreed on them. Jason Tatum, why do you have him as a first-team All-NBA guy? Um, I thought Tatum was more of a no-brainer for me, actually. It's just, you know, like you talked about with Booker, he has the most coveted skill set in the NBA, getting a bucket wherever and whenever. Um, and then he also has the great, great defensive tools and instincts he plays and will hopefully play for in the future. Um, a a winning organization that doesn't take a long time to rebuild that, you know, that they, they really promote themselves as, as the highest tier of the NBA, um, which they obviously are alongside the Lakers. Um, so it, it, I find it hard to believe that he will spend much of his career in mediocrity from a winning standpoint. Um, and he, I mean, he positively affects winning. He has positively affected winning and he's a, he's a, he totally can be a raw number beast just cause like, yeah. we, like I said, you know, he can score from anywhere. Um, I just think he's one of those prototypical perennial All-NBA guys, whether it's first or second team would be my guess on his healthy years, just because, you know, he's going to be the best guy on a really good team, and he's going to be scoring a lot, and people are already really high on him. He gets a lot of media attention. So, um, you know, and that that's all. another reason why the jaw, I consider jaw for first team, is because like the the way we perceive them already i think affects it so much like mm-hmm. jaw is so cool in the media landscape and um he's just a trendy sort of player just like tatum so i think that genuinely does help them out a lot when we view them in these type of all nba things um but yeah i i couldn't think i could think of a whole lot of reasons why tatum would be a top five guy in five years and not many reasons why he shouldn't be a top five guy so that was my thinking yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. It's the vintage score skill set, and also a guy who's going to be borderline all defense or all defense for a while. You mentioned the popularity factor there, and the only reason that I didn't consider that all that much is because projecting five years out, you don't really know how narratives are going to change. Jaw is exceptionally exciting because, A, he's a rookie. If it ends up being, I don't know, there there haven't been that many long-term stars in Memphis. Even a guy like Pau Gasol, he did not stay relevant. Jaw is a 
plays a far more exciting brand of basketball, especially if you're the casual fan who just sees the highlights where he's throwing these ridiculous passes. He's got some sweet posters, but I don't know. I just don't know if I can project how that will change as time progresses at center. We both have Carl Anthony Towns, who will not make an All-NBA team this year, in all likelihood. Uh, yes, in large part due to injury, because he was producing at an insanely high level. But also, the Timberwolves just suck, and he seems to be unhappy. But we both has, have him as our first team guy. So why did you pick him over the rest of the centers in the league? He was the hardest pick for me for first team, definitely. Um, the whole center position on all these All-NBA teams was the hardest mm-hmm. for me. Um, it's so hard to gauge someone that's never been the best player on a playoff team. I, I don't think we can all agree that Jimmy Butler was kind of the alpha on that the 17-18 Timberwolves team. Um, and then obviously Cat had a terrible run in the playoffs. He scored like 15.6 points a game or whatever. But it's just, it's like with Booker, it's just so hard to believe that someone with that talent, especially on the offensive end, is in a bad situation in five years. Just how the league moves now and how players force their way out and get themselves into good situations and it's also hard to believe that he won't be the best player on his team when he is on that winning team just because he is so dynamic offensively. Um, so for me, Cat has to put things together. He's got to put consistent, consistent effort in. He's got to be a better leader, a little bit more mature. I think the defensive concerns are totally real. Um, he falls asleep a little bit. He overcommits a little bit. He's just not refined there. You can tell he's you know spending a lot more time on his offensive game still, which is... Um, acceptable because it is improving that three-point shots incredible he shoots over 40 percent on a high volume and it's not all just assisted corner threes he will take step backs he'll create it for himself um and he's just a remarkable offensive talent that i think in a winning situation is just going to be a total total superstar in this league and a top five guy um and he sold me more than anyone else at the center position because honestly no one completely sold me the way that a tatum or Doncic did uh, but why do you go with him here? This one honestly was not that hard for me. And it's interesting because right now I would say he is the clear third best center in basketball. And the two guys that I would have above him are not old guys. It's Nikola Jokic, who's one year older than him. It's Joel Embiid, who's two years older than him. To me, it is projecting forward whose game is going to age the best. And with the ridiculous health concerns that have plagued Joel Embiid for his entire career, where he should be in his sixth NBA season and he has yet to play 65 games in a single year, Jokic may be my favorite NBA player. And yes, he's not overly dependent on physical tools, but I just, it's tough to bet on him holding up as well as a guy like Cat, who is all evolving so much as we speak, revolutionizes offensive game just within this season in the 35 games we saw. 26 and a half a game, as you mentioned, 41% from three on eight attempts a game, career high in assists at 4.4. I think that he is so devoted to improving on the offensive side that he is going to become a unique weapon like we have never seen. And I actually feel like he's under discussed because Minnesota is so bad. We Obviously, he hasn't shown that he really impacts winning at a high level, but his on-off splits, he's plus 5.6 for his career. That's a significant margin. He's consistently significantly positive every year. So I think that does tell you that obviously part of that is the Timberwolves being terrible without him, but they're always more competitive when he's on the floor. Defensively, he has a long way to go. I think a lot of it is just how he sees the game and the fact that through five seasons, his processing on that side of the ball hasn't fully improved is a bit concerning. A big part of it also right now though is effort because he's on a bad team. 
he was a guy that when he came out, I remember his second year in the league, some analyst, I don't remember if it was Bleacher Report or what, picked him to win Defensive Player of the Year. So when you look at the physical skill set, maybe he doesn't have the insane verticality of some of the best rim protectors in the league, and I don't think that anyone would project him to be an all-defense level guy anymore. But if he's the best offensive center in basketball, that will be the driving force, and then he just needs to improve enough defensively to justify him being selected there. So... I don't know if you want to talk about Giannis or Luka. I feel like they're pretty obvious, especially Luka, just because he'll, again, be probably ascending at this point, theoretically. Maybe not. Maybe he's an exception. Um, but do you have any thoughts on either of those two? No, Luka was the most obvious pick, obviously. I think um, he's the safest bet to be the best player in the league five years from now. Um Giannis, for me, I couldn't see his physical attributes, which is obviously what he relies on most, being, I don't know, uh, that much lesser than they are now at 30 years old. Um, so it was just hard to not see him as a top five player in basketball. Also just betting against someone with so with such a high work ethic and has proved that how much he cares about the game and all that, it just it didn't seem like the best idea. Um, and if you add some nuance into the game, just sharpens uh, his shooting skills, his post game, like, you know, he, he, could, he could turn into a little bit of a, a different stage of his career that would that would also be super enjoyable and obviously he'd still be just as productive so I think that there's a room to grow and there's also if if that doesn't fill out necessarily I I think he can still rely on the same skill set here and be a top five guy but yeah I just think he's going to be on first team all NBAs for 10 years in a row I agree that definitely seems like that's the direction in which it is trending so let's move on to second team who do you have there my second team I have John Morant um we talked about it at the guard spot. I have Ben Simmons filling out the other guard spot. I have Zion and Anthony Davis at the forward spots, and I have Bam Adebayo at my center spot. Very interesting. I have Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker at the guard spots. I have Anthony Davis and Zion at the forward spots, and I have Nikola Jokic at center. So we went a couple different directions here. For me, uh, the most difficult was the guard spots because, frankly, I feel like if you're projecting five years forward, I see a lot more depth of real all-NBA-level guards than I do forwards. Once I got to second team, I am... Listen, I mean, Zion was incredible in what we saw of him. I am not a big Zion guy relative to most people, and I have him on my second team. I just wasn't as sold in the same way as I was by a lot of the all-NBA guards, so I ended up going with Mitchell over Simmons. I think Simmons is definitely the better... Well, not definitely. I think Simmons is the better player right now, what I see, though, is a higher level of stability from Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, he has the uh, he's just so much easier to fit into any given system, and he's a guy that's already giving you 24-4-4. Four, and four. And as much as I love Simmons, and I completely experimented with Simmons on second team, I also experimented with both of these guys on third team or off all my teams entirely because this was that difficult of a decision to make. I can see a world in which Simmons' career takes a turn for the worst, in which he becomes disgruntled and he remains misutilized, and I don't really see him ever developing that three-point shot, and I can just see there being some Simmons fatigue because in his current form, he's going to be an NBA player like no one else, and we do forgive him now because of the genius playmaking and the incredible defense, which is his most valuable asset in my opinion, and the fact that he at times is such an so incredible as a transition weapon but I can just see a world in which that turns sour and I can't really see that with Donovan Mitchell the ceiling is not as high for Mitchell in my opinion I don't think he's ever a 30 point per game guy but he's just trending up throughout his career 
He is a winner, and yes, of course, part of that can be attributed to the fact that he joined a really good team and a really good foundation, but you also just feel it. You feel it with the confidence. You feel it with the willingness to take big shots. The fact that as a rookie, he was the clear number one option for a team that won a playoff series. Those are special traits, and as much as I love Ben Simmons, and I think he is the superior player right now, who I think you would argue has even more room to grow, I think he also has more room to go south. So that's why I ended up going Mitchell over Simmons. Why did you do the opposite? Um, well, I'd actually probably say that Mitchell is the superior player to Simmons right now just based on, I don't know, importance to his team and mm-hmm. what he does for um, the Jazz compared to what Simmons does for the Sixers. But I don't know. For me, my whole list was kind of dependent on Embiid getting out of Simmons' way mm-hmm. more so um, in both evaluating Embiid and Simmons. Mm-hmm. So... I think Simmons could really revolutionize the Sixers and who they are or another team if he is the if he has a clear lane, um, if he's given more freedom, if he can develop a little more confidence. I don't know how much he needs the three ball to develop. I think there are a lot of things that could develop. I think mm-hmm. his post game is already decent. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he added some shooting out of the post, yeah. um, some legitimate shooting, a better face-up game, mm-hmm. that would be pretty deadly. Um, and then all the, you touched on all the all the things he already does with his defense, his playmaking, all that. I just think he's the type of guy, he's 23 and he has so much figured out. I find it hard to believe that more isn't going to get figured out. Mitchell, um, like you said with Book, it, he's a really good player right now. Yes, there's room to grow. There's totally room to grow. Um, but I don't know how much room to grow there is Mm -hmm. and Simmons I really think could become a superstar this was kind of just it was it was a bet on him I would say the most realistic scenario is your scenario with Mitchell Mm -hmm. but the scenario that I envision even though I understand um the percentages of it I guess would be Ben Simmons really elevating his game in the next five years so that's why I went with him at the second guard spot but that was I felt like jaw Luca and book were a clear Mm -hmm three for me and then that was kind of hard um to gauge what I wanted to do with Simmons it's just so hard to gauge five years um with any of these players just because we don't know them personally we don't know what they're working on what what their plans are for their career we don't know how good they want to be so it's hard but I went with Simmons okay and I completely understand that line of thinking and I hope that that's how it turns out I don't know why I just sort of had this feeling in the pit of my stomach I'm a huge Simmons guy currently but I just had this feeling that five years down the road Mitchell is going to be a guy that is looked at as a great leader, as a consistent, sort of like, not in play style, but a Damian Lillard kind of guy, a guy that's always on good teams, that puts up consistent all-NBA level production, Um, and I just saw a world in which that doesn't happen for Ben Simmons, but I hope everything goes right, I hope he gets the right personnel around him, and he can be liberated and use that ridiculous skill set that he has and continue to add to that skill set at the forward spots we agreed we took the two most relevant new orleans pelicans ever already for zion williamson i would say pretty comfortably anthony davis will be 32 the reason i left him off my first team is you just have to look at the precedent it takes an exceptional player to still be a first team all nba level guy at 32 plus since 1960 only 50 only 15 guys have done it so with an ascending tatum with such a projectable skill set from him, I gave him the edge. But I still think that AD is going to be an absolute weapon and a clear top 10 guy. And for me, the hardest decision as far as first team versus second team might have been Davis versus Tatum. And then obviously, uh, at the other forward spot, we both have Zion Williamson, who will be 24, 
who will be improving probably up to that point, if not through that point. So was there any difficulty for you with the two forward spots? Was it pretty obvious? And why were they the choices? Um, yeah, Zion is tough for me because, like you said, I'm not huge on Zion. But when I thought about the fact that he scored 23.6 points per game on, I think, I think a winning team since he's been there in, in the games that he's played on, played in, uh, with his current skill set, it's just there's no way we don't have a problem in five years. He relies more heavily on his athleticism and drive than anyone I've ever watched. And when he adds just a little bit of polish, maybe uses his right hand once, maybe once in a game, he puts the ball in his right hand, he's going to absolutely take over, um, at least scoring the basketball, just because clearly people can't stay in front of him, defend him. Um, again, he's young enough to the point where we don't have to worry about physical concerns outside of injury um, in five years. So, I don't know. I, I think you sharpen up the jumper a little bit. You add some uh, some finesse in the post game, and you and he realizes that he was born with two hands. It. I mean, it's hard to bet against him. For Davis, I I, I didn't really consider him for first team All NBA because I think at this point in his career, I think he's going to be kind of cruising a little bit. But I think a lot of players find that sweet spot where the cruising is the 25, 11, and three blocks for AD. And I think he can just consistently do that for a season without being the young guy that's trying to get his and go for 30 and all that stuff. So I just see, I'm very confident in my vision for Anthony Davis as being that consistent top 10 guy and then revving up in the playoffs and being the vet and the and the superstar that he is. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't too bad for me. I think to talk about Zion a little bit more, it's so tough to bet against him at this point because if you look at every indication, it's uh, he was an absolute star this year, plus 13.6 on off splits, and yes, he's overly dependent on his left. He shot the three well, but on a very limited sample size, very, very limited to the point where I'd basically disregard it. Um, and we saw hints of the playmaking. I think he still has a long way to go defensively, which is scary for the NBA because he has incredible physical tools there and I actually thought that that was going to be coming into the league what is what made him at least a solid player that was his floor was his defensive tools and then you see the fact that you can literally just give him the ball within 15 feet and he bulldozes people that is something that no one else in the NBA not even Giannis has uh, that fear that he strikes into the opponent because he is just bigger and stronger my biggest concern with Zion would be that he is so uniquely built, and everyone talks about his gait, how weirdly he walks. He's 6'6", 285. You can't project an injury for anyone. You wouldn't want to. But if there were anyone that I would project it for, it would probably be Zion just because there is so much concern there. And obviously, it greatly affected his rookie year where he's only played 19 games. He's been phenomenal, but we missed a lot of rookie Zion because of injury. Let's talk about the center spot where... I'm interested by your decision to go with Bam out of bio. I went with Jokic, who will be 30 at this point. So why was Bam your choice? I knew I wanted Bam on this list, and it was really hard where to rank. I really like Bam, and I think people are people are sleeping on just how impactful of a player he's going to be. I think he's going to be surrounded by winning his entire career. He just he impacts it like that. I love his motor. I, I love all the clips I've seen of him in interviews, the pieces that were written on him, that Zach Lowe piece, whatever. Like I really believe in him. And I just, I didn't have that same feeling with Embiid and Jokic. Picturing a healthy 31-year-old Embiid who isn't having fun apparently right now in his younger days, 
dominating the league was really hard for me and not being injured that was really hard for me pitching our 30 year old Jokic carrying his 300 pound self up and down the court and doing the same thing that he does right now that was really hard for me too it I don't know It, it those two guys seem like when I watch them play I'm like wow this is remarkable that their bodies are letting them do this because they're so big and so like they look like they're they could break at any time just because how much weight they're putting on themselves it's just and then I see Bam and I just see him I see him going exactly where the NBA is going he's a small ball center who can pass he can shoot a little bit he's shown many times including this NBA skills challenge (laughs) that he can shoot the three um, but Spo doesn't let him shoot it right now. I think he's going to be able to shoot the three. I think he's going to be able to defend everybody. It's exactly where the NBA is going. I never think he's going to score more than 20 a game. I, I would bet not much more than 18. Mm-hmm. But if you're putting up that 18, 11, and 6 mm-hmm. and playing great defense on 55, 35, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I don't know. I just think he's going to be surrounded by winning and picturing uh, the 30-year-old Jokic being dominant, even though obviously he doesn't rely on athleticism at all, it's mm-hmm. just for me five more years of sprinting up and down the court, mm-hmm. or then Bede being healthy and dominant. I couldn't really do it um, as far as a top 10 guy, so I just went with my gut and I went with Bam. Why do you go with Jokic? I have those same concerns about Jokic. I have so many concerns about how Embiid projects five years down the road. The difference is I still think that they are in different worlds as far as talent. And Bam is younger. He is dramatically improving. He was a thrill to watch this season. But he will never be the best player on a contender. And I think that Jokic and Embiid in their best forms can both do that because they have that different ability to carry a team. And as a non-scorer, Bam and you can't compare him to Jokic, even though Jokic fades it sometimes, because he has an elite scorer's skill set. It's a weird one, but he can get a bucket out of the post basically whenever he wants to. He's a ridiculous contested shot maker, and generally in big spots, he's shot well from three when he is needed to. Like, if you look at the playoffs last year, generally in crunch time, he shoots well from three. I just think that there is still a difference in talent. I do not think Jokic in, at, in five years will look like he does right now, but I do think as long as he takes some care of himself and stays devoted to the game, that skill set will age relatively well just because it's not dependent on the athleticism. Now, his body I don't see aging all that well, and I have concerns about it, but I still I just think they're in different tiers as far as talent. So I understand I think Bam will be a better player than he is right now in five years. I think that Jokic will be a worse player in five years than he is right now, but I just think the gap to bridge is so great that I was not going to bet against the guy that I see as just being a far superior talent. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I don't. I think my modern philosophy in the NBA is just that it's, it is very hard to be a center and be the best player in a contender. And when I'm talking about a contender, I'm ta- you know I'm not talking about last year's Nuggets. No one thought the Nuggets could beat a healthy Warriors team. I'm talking about a legitimate contender, and I don't see Bam Embiid or um, Jokic being the clear cut. Bet you know I could see them getting put next to another one and playing in a finals with them and winning a finals MVP. But I could never see them being that clear cut number one guy. I think for Jokic to be a contender, he would have to have that Bradley Beal. And you could say Jokic is still better than Bradley Beal, but you know, they're sharing the one responsibilities. I think the same thing with Embiid. I just think the center mold right now 
And that's why I'm so high on Cat. That's why the world is so high on Cat is because he's this center that I could legitimately project as the clear-cut best player on a championship team. And that's really hard being a center right now. You just don't have the ball enough in how fast-paced, high-screen-oriented the NBA is. You just don't have the ball enough to be that number one guy. That's why we talk about Jokic needing needing Jamal Murray on steroids, needing something more than that to be that really, really, you know, championship contender, someone that we could actually see beating these elite LeBron's Kawhi's in seven series. And that's the same thing I think about with Embiid. I think about uh, getting rid of Simmons and replacing him with a a better perimeter threat that fits around him more, another type of one guy. But I also think about Simmons improving and Simmons would also be, you know, another, another one type of guy. So I don't know. Uh, For me, it was all three of them in five years I see as at their peak being sharing one responsibilities or being kind of a two to a very good perimeter score, but also being dominant in their own respect. And for me, my best bet was the, I don't, is Bam 22 right now? Mm -hmm. The 27-year-old Bam, just because his body looks like it could translate until he's 34. Yeah, I just don't fully agree. I feel like you're kind of short-selling Jokic and Embiid there because, I mean, Embiid was not at his best in the playoffs last year, but he would have been the clear number one guy on a team that was that close to beating the eventual champions. And yes, you can't get too deep into the hypotheticals there, but lost in seven second round, as did the Jokic-led Nuggets, and they shouldn't have lost the Blazers, obviously, but Jokic was out of his mind. They're negative 16 points per 100 without him. He had plus 23.2 on-off splits, which is obviously in just an unreal world. I've talked about the numbers plenty of times, but it's it's 25, 13, and 8.5 on ridiculously efficient shooting. And I just think when he is motivated, he is a different beast, and he is capable of things that Bam will never be capable of as an offensive player. And at the end of the day, that is what drives the All-NBA conversation. And I love Bam. There's not enough red flags for me with how Jokic's game will age to take away a guy who is a top-five MVP candidate back-to-back years versus a guy who just made his first All-Star team and will be contending for an All-NBA spot clearly behind Jokic. Let's move on to third team where, for me, the guard spots were difficult. Actually, I would say that this was pretty difficult overall. So who do you have? Um, For my third team, I have Cade Cunningham at guard, who, for those of you who don't know, is a 2021 NBA draft prospect. He's uh, projected pretty much consensusly to go number one right now. Uh, right ahead of Jalen Green, I have Donovan Mitchell at the second guard spot. I have Imani Bates, who's the top, pro- who's the Gatorade National Player of the Year as a sophomore, um, and the first sophomore ever, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he will be taken first overall. He's projected to be taken first overall in the 2022 draft. I see no reason why that wouldn't play out, um, barring injury. I have Kawhi on the third team, a 33-year-old Kawhi, I think, and then I have Jokic. I just put Jokic there. I didn't have Jokic on my team, but I have Jokic at the center spot. Okay, interesting. So I have Trey Young and Ben Simmons at my guard spots. I also have Imani Bates and Kawhi at the forward spots. And then I have Bam at the center spot. And I also made that switch um, just a few minutes ago. I had Embiid there, but there's just too many concerns for me with how Embiid aged. And I said to myself before I made this list, Embiid is not going to be on my team. And then I flipped and then... I flipped back because I really thought long and hard about it, and it just doesn't make sense. So let's start with, I think, probably the most interesting selections on our list. You have Cade Cunningham. Uh, Why don't you talk a little bit about why you see him being an all-NBA level guy? Yeah, I mean, 
it's probably going to be Trey Young, and I like Trey Young. I I, I think Trey Young's going to be a really good player. I, and I mean, again, I think these things are really driven by narrative, and teams construction are really driven by narrative, and everything about the NBA. And I just think Trey, you know, Trey Young's just going to be that that guy. But Cade Cunningham, for those of you who don't know, he's a do it all type of guy. He's six seven, mm-hmm. I want to say. Um, at the guard spot, I see him as kind of a superior Ben Simmons on the offensive side. He's um, he's drive first, he's pass first, but he can also he has a lot more touch in his game. He has the floater game. He has a, a better package around the rim. He has, shoots the ball way better from deep. Um, and I just see him as the 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 do it all guy in that in that LeBron Ben Simmons mold somewhere in between those two guys. Um, and then I think based on what I've heard and read about him, he should be an impactful defender. He should be a leader. He should be a winner. Um, and at this point, his fourth year in the league, I think he's going to be valuable enough to be a multiple time All Star, a valuable member, maybe the best player on a winning team. And I think that'll be enough. Um, I see him as such a winner, and I see Trey Young as such a question mark. Mm-hmm. So I just went with my gut here, which is Cade, even though, um, again, it's it's kind of like the um, the Zion thing, where it just it's hard to bet against someone like Trey mm-hmm. because, like, so few like Zion, so few first year forwards have done what Zion's doing. Mm-hmm. So few second year guards are doing what Trey Young do, is doing, regardless of his shortcomings. But, um, you know, this is, these are our lists, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going with my personal preference. So I went with, I went with Cade, but to be, Trey Young's going to be an all, an all-NBA team in five years. That's yeah. probably not going to be a question. So yeah. why do you go with Trey? The reason that I went with Trey is basically that I just see the raw production is going to be so undeniable. I like Cade Cunningham a lot more just based on what I've seen from him. I think that he fits into the mold of the big modern NBA playmaker perfectly, beautifully. I think that he brings that fluidity that I guess Simmons has, but it's just the ability to get your own shot as well as to control the game and the half court. It's I think he's going to be an awesome NBA player. In my own mind, I may have overstated a bit the he's going to be too young factor because he will be 23. He will be in his fourth year in the league. And it takes a very good player to make an All-NBA team at that age, but it is not historically exceptional. That kind of stuff does happen. I have something that's more historically exceptional happening with Imani Bates making my third-team All-NBA. But with Trey, this I think that Trey Young's career will go in one of two directions. I think that he will end up being you know, a Damian Lillard type where he's, I can't see him being the best player on a championship team as young as he is. I, it's certainly not in the style that he currently currently plays basketball, but a guy that puts up a huge numbers on huge numbers on, you know, lower seeded playoff teams. I don't know. Maybe he'll be a little bit worse than Dame with slightly better raw production. I could see that kind of stuff happening. Um, as far as driving winning, he could be slightly worse. I, I, you know, for some reason, still deep within, I see a world in which this goes sour and he's, <laughs> he somehow gets worse and gets driven out because he's just such a, um, he's just so ball dominant and he's so absorbent of the entire team just when he's on the court. But I just don't think that's going to happen. Like as flawed as he has been, uh, those flaws have been reduced this year and the, positives the brilliance that he's shown on the basketball court has just way outweighed that at this point and I could not bet against him being all NBA and then I have Simmons you have Mitchell so we just flipped there we already talked about that at the forward spots we agreed and 
You asked me yesterday if I was going to have anyone that was not currently in the NBA on my list, and I thought that the answer was going to be no, but I ended up going with Amani at 21. Only 12 players in NBA history have made an All-NBA team at 21 or younger since 1960. It is an exceptional accomplishment, but he's an exceptional, ridiculous talent. So why did Amani make the team for you? Um, yeah, well, I, I looked at previous years and just five years ago today, if there were names that I would see um, that I would barely know just got drafted or were going to get drafted that would make an All-NBA team, and there were. Um, so I said, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to be late on these type of guys, and especially Imani, because Imani is the type of guy that I see in that kind of Kevin Durant mold, where it's, you know, Kevin Durant, by this, his second year in the league, yeah. he was ready to go. Yeah. He was a top 10 guy. Um, so I, I, I see that type of tra- tra- trajectory for Imani Bates. I think it's hard not to get scared when you're saying this guy is going to be an all-time great player. This junior in high school is going to be an all-time great. But it's so much worse to be late than not have any opinion on these guys. So I, I, I don't want to be the guy that um, that was sheepish, sheepish about placing him um, on a third-team All-NBA because at the end of the day, people of his caliber, of his talent, make All-NBA teams in their third year. You know, it's few and far in between. Um, there's no a little over 10 of them um, at his age, but... I don't know. I, I believe in his talent. I believe in his skill set. I believe in who he is as a person. Um, I totally believe in the hype. The really only question I have about him is his frame filling out. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't think it matters that much for yeah. people of his caliber. It didn't matter for Kevin Durant. I don't think it's really going to matter for Amani Bates. Mm-hmm. Um, he's obviously going to fill out a little bit. I don't think he needs to fill out that much. I think yeah. sometimes filling out too much messes with you a little yeah. bit. You have a body that you're not comfortable with. Um, I just think this dude is a beast. If you haven't watched him, go watch him. Uh, like we said, he's the first ever sophomore Gatorade National Player of the Year. That's embarrassing for all the seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, that's embarrassing for all the juniors. He's just he's killing dudes out yeah. there. Um, and he is a fant- He is a killer, killer mindset. And that's mm-hmm. um, that's something that I really value in prospects. Yeah. So he was actually pretty easy for me. I, I knew he was going to be on my third team because again, I don't want to be the guy betting against this dude. Yeah. I think that Amani Bates is already a very uh, highly recognized name, but at the end of the day, a sophomore in high school can only get so much hype. I think these next two years, it is going to become absurd how much we hear about Amani Bates, but for good reason, because he is so special. There's so much KD that you see within his game, and at 6'9", 205, yes, it's you know not a traditional build. It's a traditional Kevin Durant build, but I just think he attacks the rim with such ferocity. As you mentioned, that just killer mentality he is so he plays so angry which is scary when you're talking about a guy that you can imagine scoring 30 something a game he's just going to go at you over and over again he's going to go at your head to have a handle like that at 16 years old and 6'9 to look that comfortable in a six foot nine, weirdly lanky body he just has I've never made the KD comparison I did not do it with Brandon Ingram this is the only situation in which I think it makes sense Uh, because there's just so many shades of that in his game. And yes, he'll have to be exceptional. I do think it's relevant whether or not uh, the one-and-done rule is abolished by this point, which is what the plan was supposed to be. And now I think that there's been a little bit of muddling of that because the NCAA you know, obviously doesn't want to lose their guys. And I think that they might try to postpone that. But if it ends up being that he can come out straight out of high school and this is his third year in the NBA, it would be tough to bet against him in my opinion. At the other forward spot, we both have Kawhi at 33 years old. For me, this one was, 
I, driven really by the fact that there wasn't another compelling option at forward, I was not going to put Brandon Ingram, who is in his first year of real stardom, in that spot over a guy that is an established perennial MVP candidate, the best player on last year's championship team, had a historic playoff run. And yes, he'll be 33. The injury concerns, uh, you know, will always cast a bit of a shadow over the later stages of his career, I would imagine. Load management is always a question. Is he going to play 60 games at 30 minutes a game? That is possible. He'll be 30. He'll be an old guy. I just cannot bet against Kawhi Leonard, even though regular season achievements are not what he is particularly compelled by. I just think he's too good. I can't imagine Brandon Ingram being a better basketball player than Kawhi in five years. I can't imagine Pascal Siakam being a better basketball player than Kawhi in five years. And again, I was kind of surprised by how, uh, by the lack of options at the forward spot because I just found myself thinking with the guards, there's a couple guys that I, or there's one guy that I really wanted on that I wasn't able to get on. And I did not feel that way with the forward. So why did you have Kawhi? Um, you know, I just believe, like you said, it's just with his competitors for this position or the competitors that we know of right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Looking at the career achievements from Kawhi Leonard to Brandon Ingram is laughable. And mm-hmm. betting the other way is yeah. pretty hard, yeah. um, especially with just the personality difference. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon Ingram is just much less decisive and much less alpha than Kawhi who just mm-hmm. takes everything over um yeah I think Kawhi is definitely gonna be I, I just can't see a Kawhi Leonard that goes back to a role player type of guy yeah. or even a second option he's just such a commanding personality on the court right now mm-hmm. um so yeah it, there just wasn't much competition there I I found it pretty easy to fill out the forward spots on this list mm-hmm. I found it um much harder to fill out the guard spots, rank the guard spots. Um, obviously, it's a guard-driven league right now, but Kawhi was pretty easy for me. So let's talk about the center spot then. I don't think we need to talk about the fact that I have Bam and you have Jokic. What is relevant here is that neither of us have Joel Embiid, who a definitely there is a group of people who would contend that he's the best center in basketball, averaged 27-13 and 13 last year, uh, has had some incredible moments in the NBA, but neither of us feel comfortable betting on him. I know that we've talked about that a bit, but what was really for you the driving reason that you left him beat off? And also, I know that you said that you changed Jokic to your third team center. So who did you have in that spot before? Um, I had him beat. I had him beat when we started this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I feel very bad about Jokic or Embiid on being a top 15 player in the league in five years. I, I totally think that there's going to be someone else that usurps them and takes over that position I just don't know who it is I couldn't think of anybody I I don't know maybe it won't be anybody just because no one's going to come up but I do not see a 30 year old Jokic or a 31 year old Embiid but I I mean Jokic has surprisingly been very durable in his career I would bet on Jokic more than I would bet on Embiid just because I don't know I don't I don't believe in Embiid I really don't like when players that are on championship contenders come out and say I'm not having fun and try to draw attention away from the team and to themselves I I just I don't know I've I've never liked his gimmicks I've never thought he's very funny I would prefer him to be I mean obviously you know that he can be whatever the hell he wants to be but as when I'm evaluating him as a player I prefer people with more driven personalities, more focused personalities, um, more team-oriented guys. Seems like he kind of just gets a little bit lost and upset when he's not playing, mm-hmm. you know, his brand of basketball that he wants, which is just dominating. And then he's this big show personality 
when he's can put up 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I mean, he has the skill set to do so much outside of scoring that it's just it would be nice to see him as engaged if he wasn't scoring the rock. Um, you know, and those things are only going to get worse when he loses his physical attributes and when he needs to take care of his body even more so and put more time into the game and mm-hmm. put more money into uh, investing in himself and his body. So uh, I just don't, again, it, it's hard to see a world where that's a realistic version of um, Embiid. So I, I don't know. I went with the lesser of two evils in my mind with Jokic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's going to be someone that we've, I don't know, maybe never heard about or someone that I'm low on right now. Maybe mm-hmm. I, I consider on Yeka a little bit, mm-hmm. but I feel like, yeah. I don't know. On Yeka and Bam are kind of the same player to yeah. me at their peak, so I didn't want to put both of them. Um, maybe Evan Mobley's really good, power forward center that's supposed mm-hmm. to be taken. Um, top three a year from now so i don't know yeah, yeah uh, for me i'm not going to bet on a 25 year old currently he will be 30 who again has played throughout his career zero games zero games 31 63 64 now 44 this year whose raw production is down across the board and who is on the most dramatically underachieving team in basketball and of course there are reasons for that as far as the raw production, he admitted that he was coasting throughout this year. I think that was obvious when you watched them play. He's in a terrible fit personnel-wise with Horford and Simmons. It's just too many non-shooters on the floor at once, and I think that that is a big reason why they have underachieved. But at the end of the day, I feel like sometimes I'm not critical enough of Embiid, and I just don't think his prime is going to last all that all on that all that long when you're talking about NBA superstars because that's just what the trend is telling us. And at the end of the day, maybe we had this fleeting moments of brilliance where in his third year, he was an exceptional guy and maybe he'll never be that again. I wouldn't bet on that. Well, maybe that he never has an individual season that great again. I wouldn't bet that he's not close to that level, but I can't bet on him down five years down the road. I really considered a lot of options for a third team All-NBA center. I thought about DeAndre Ayton, who as flawed as his game is, I don't necessarily love how he approaches it. It's a few too many turnaround mid-range jumpers for me but there is the physical tools are so imposing he improved so much defensively this year to where he was one of the more effective rim protectors in basketball he had impressive on-off splits and he averaged 19 and 12 in his second year he'll be 26 I was really high on him coming out of the draft and I feel like I maybe got a little too low on him after his rookie year and just sort of forgot about him too much I do think that he's really talented and he has all NBA potential Bam has done more. He has more diverse tools at this point. Let's talk about some of our close misses. For me, the hardest cut was James Harden, who will be 35 years old. Only 12 players ever at 35 plus have made All-NBA. But if you're going to bet on someone, it's the incredibly durable scores. It's the Kareem's. It's the Carl Malone's. And that is just how I see Harden. I cannot imagine him not scoring 20-something a game even at 35 years old because he's as durable as they come, he's as consistent as they come, and obviously every player is dependent on their physical attributes, but he is so absurdly crafty. It's the deceleration that makes him special, which I imagine he will still have control of at 35 years old, and he's just too determined and too consistently great. So I really wanted to put him on at the end of the day. I was not going to bet against Ben Simmons to that degree. And I do think that Trey Young's raw production is just going to be more impressive. So who are some of your close misses? Um, Harden was a close miss for me. It is hard to put someone like Cade Cunningham, um, who's a nobody in the league right now, ahead of Harden. But I don't know. I found it, you know, I was going more off. 
Cade's going to be ascending into his peak. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that means winning, and Harden's going to be descending, um, obviously. And I, it, it's hard for me to believe that Harden's going to be on a very relevant team for that long. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I think he, I see him more as a kind of big numbers guy on a middling mm-hmm. team. Then, so I just think he would be left out. Uh, Shea Gilchrist Alexander, I considered a lot. He hasn't proven enough to me on the offensive end. Um, I don't know. I see him more as the second, third guy and the yeah. Swiss Army knife than I do see him as uh, the best player on a yeah. winning, a very good team. So mm-hmm. I left him off. And then I, I really like Brandon Ingram. It was hard for me mm-hmm. to put a sophomore in high school over Brandon Ingram. But uh, it's a personality thing for me with Ingram. I just don't think he – I think he wants it enough. I think he works hard enough. But on the court, I don't see him go get it enough. I think when Zion came – I wanted to see Ingram go like, hey, rookie, I'm 25-point-per-game veteran, mm-hmm. fourth year in the league, whatever it is, fifth year in the league, fourth year in the league, I think. Uh, this is me right now, mm-hmm. you know, play role player, and then in crunch time, it's a lot of Drew Holiday and Zion, and mm-hmm. sometimes you completely forget B.I.'s on the court. Mm-hmm. So he still gets his, but it's not the, the degree and intensity that I want him to. Mm-hmm. And that's why I left him off. I just, you know, I like the – the alpha dogs and those are the people yeah. that you can believe in um yeah and yeah I, that i didn't have too many other close mm-hmm. misses i'm not a huge aiden all nba guy yeah. based on what we've seen for me harden was the only one that i would say i really deeply considered and then Embiid because i did have Embiid in that spot on the sga front for me it just wasn't that tough i wrote his name down out of respect for the fact that he's a young guy who improved so dramatically this year, but it's not close for me if I'm picking between him and a Trey Young or a Ben Simmons or a Donovan Mitchell. They have shown so much more that SGA I think sometimes gets a little bit overrated because he's a lot of he's a diamond in the rough and a guy that a lot of people were on and they were like, hey, this guy could be pretty good, especially as he produced for a Clippers team that ended up making the playoffs. But the offensive tools are not comparable to Trey Young or to Donovan Mitchell. And the defensive ability is not comparable to Ben Simmons, even with the length and the effort that he gives you on that side. So that one wasn't all that tough for me. And I thought about Bradley Beal at 31 years old at the guard spot just because he's such an exceptional offensive player right now. But I'm not going to bet on him when he's going to be trending downwards a bit. He's not going to be a crazy old guy, but I just think... Trey Young, Ben Simmons are going to be pretty tough to deny at this point of their careers, really near their absolute apexes as basketball players. So that's going to do it for us here today. I think that this was definitely a fun exercise, and I did these predictions a couple years ago for five years out, and already, except for the fact that I picked Luka Doncic as MVP, a lot of them are looking pretty dumb, if I remember correctly, and I think that that might end up being how this turns out. Oh yeah, like I picked Mo Bamba to win Defensive Player of the Year back then, which actually is really the toughest one by far, and I kind of wish that I hadn't shared that because it's not a great look, but at the end of the day, we're just having fun out here, and we're just, you know, trying to keep the people entertained until the NBA goes comes back. So, uh, I've been Carson Brabber, alongside me today was Carvel Teft, hope you enjoyed.